Hello and welcome again to another episode of In Moderation. As we know that we call it In Moderation, not because we ask questions in moderation, but because whoever we ask questions to know the questions beforehand. So it's well moderated, although it sounds like it's quite, um, um, it's, it's, it's right at the moment we're discussing something, but look, that's the idea. So today we have someone really interesting with us, uh, Ishani Roy. And her background is in applied mathematics and computational mechanics. I guess that's the closest I can, well, I, I wanted to box her into this in mechanics. But after that, what Ishani has done is she has her own company, uh, which establishes or helps people establish diversity and embrace diversity in an organization. So Ishani, would that be a fair introduction to you? Yes, definitely, Vikram. That sounds good. And so um, let's uh, start with the question that I um, have heard um, lots of times. And let's say um, we all have thought about it at some point of our time as well. Um, why should I actually do this? I understand, I mean, we can do this for others, but why should I do this? Why should I embrace diversity in my organization, for example? That's a good question, Vikram. So what you are saying is that why should I care about having a diverse organization, right? Uh, it's a very interesting question uh, because not all of us see the benefit of having a diverse organization. Now, um, I'll give you some usual uh, things that people quote. So there are a lot of widely quoted studies which say that uh, in a business, the value of having diverse team, uh, it increases uh, the business outcome. So there is, these are correlational studies which show that a business performs better if you have a gender diverse team or racially diverse team. Now, this is quite obvious, right? Why would that happen? Because a diverse set of people would have better ideas. They will understand the market. They would understand the client's need. They will produce uh, a service or a product which will do fare better in the market, right? Okay, that's understandable. But uh, the, there would be other ways to look at why would you care about diversity, right? So instead of going to the uh, obvious route, I'll uh, ask you a question. I'll ask you the reverse. What if you don't care about diversity? So let me ask you a quick question. Who do you think are better drivers, men or women? Tell me quickly. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the, like what they're doing. Uh, so who do you think? What's the, what do you think is the general perception? Are women better drivers or men better drivers? Uh, <laughs> so there is a general perception that men are better drivers and right. yes. All right. Fine. I absolutely agree with you. There is a perception irrespective of which country you are in that men are better drivers. Now, insurance, uh, people who provide car insurances, for example, may differ with you uh, because they probably think that they probably have done studies which show that women are more cautious drivers. But let me ask you one more question, right? Who do you think are more likely to be fatally injured in a car accident, men or women? I think, oh, uh, fatally injured. That, yes, while um, driving. Maybe that's dependent on who drives more, no? Okay. Any other reasons? Anything else you can think of? Um, the speed of the car, if it's at more than 50 kilometers an hour, you're Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Sure. What else? Why uh, would gender play a factor? Why would gender play an effect? Very interesting. Okay. I don't know the answer to this. All right. Okay. So it turns out it's safety. It, the safety features in a car. So when they were first designing cars, for example, and the safety features, uh, they tested out on men because that's who were available in the factories. So it turns out every single dummy that they put in were sized for men. So it turns out that when women are driving a car and they come and there is an accident, women are more likely to be fatally injured because the safety features are not made for them. So here is a eye-opening example of if you don't have diversity of thought while you are designing something, how badly it can go wrong. Uh, you must have heard of uh, facial recognition softwares which have incorrectly identified faces of African-American men due to how limited their training sets were. So these were Caucasian men uh, who were designing those uh, machine learning algorithms who forgot to think about or who forgot to or missed putting more of African-American men into the data set. And that's a big, big a problem, right? When you are innovating something, when you're coming up with good research. So uh, for me, uh, embracing diversity has many different facets. You can think about equity, fairness. Uh, too often, a diverse set of people may not look like the major group of the workforce and who have had the same privilege of attending the same university, for example. Hence, uh, when you're hiring, you may not see, it may not seem that they're the correct fit into the organization and may not get hired. So uh, it, it could be equity and fairness as well that you want to give people a chance uh, who are not like you, but come from a different background. That's so, uh, fascinating, Ishani. And as you know, I will be taking a slightly more uh, conservative stance today in this conversation anyway. Uh, sure. um, to, let's say, vocalize um, a lot of the um, perceptions that I hear. And maybe also some of this vocalization would have something that is unconscious inside me as well. I think you made a case very strongly about what is the tangible benefit to uh, I embracing diversity in organization, apart from the fairness um, aspect to it that I will be making more mistakes in whatever I'm creating. And also there is a tangible benefit to uh, these things. Are, are there numbers that would tell me how much benefit I'll get out of it? Because a lot of, in a lot of cases, people work based on numbers or numbers don't make sense here. All right. So uh, once again, I uh, usually do not quote numbers in these studies because these are correlational studies. Uh, it's tough to have a causation uh, in terms of uh, racial diversity. But what they say is a, a gender diverse organization is 15% more likely to outperform their counterpart, which is not gender diverse. And when it goes to racially diverse, it's I think over 20% more likely to outperform. So basically they look at um, performance in the stock market and then they correlate. So that would be the number about, you know, correlating diversity. Uh, but if you look at, it's not only just quantifiable numbers in terms of diversity, right? You can think about, uh, there are studies which show how socially beneficial that is as well. Uh, you are in the UK, so there are uh, 
uh, plenty of studies in the UK or in North America, in Israel, which show that um, uh, the girls, when they, uh, up to a certain age, girls outperform boys up to primary, for example, in reading and mathematics. Uh, but sometimes it drops after that. If you look at Asian countries as well, you will see that the numbers drop afterwards when they go to college. Um, but there is a clear trend which shows that in the primary level, girls typically outperform boys in mathematics and reading. Now, the social effect comes here. There are also studies in Scandinavian countries where they're equitable to begin with. The country itself is more diverse and equitable where it shows that this particular trend that girls will perform well uh, in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or even fields such as academia, politics, uh, law, as a lawyer, uh, it is much longer. So the trend continues much longer in countries which are more equitable to begin with. So for me, there are very, very interesting studies socially as well to show that how our next generation can benefit given if we build a more equitable society. Exactly. And it's, it's very similar here in uh, Ireland as well, apart from uh, UK and USA, Shani. So, and I have um, at some point of time tried to bring, um, like go to schools and encourage uh, women to join engineering and science and the numbers are increasing, but they're still low. Yes. And we have consistently found that there is a lack of popularity in terms of um, encouragement that's provided to the girls there. And yeah. secondly, um, I, ha I know from, for a fact from many of my students or my colleagues that, uh, or the girls I've spoken to, that if you do choose um, science or um, let's like quote unquote hard science, uh, you can be considered to be a bit unpopular, a bit nerdy. And that's a stereotype that goes around. Um, you spoke about Scandinavia, and I think also what I've seen is in the in the erstwhile communist bloc countries, there was a more um, like a fair distribution between men and women of these um, kinds of work. Would you agree, or is that something that again is something we we hear about, but it's it it wasn't the same. I, yes, I have heard about that. That also had to do with uh, when you have an institutionalized system, right? Uh, whether you call it affirmative action in other countries or whether you call it, um, you know, certain certain number of people have to join that group. Uh, it's institutionalized practice. So unconscious biases seep in less in those kind of practices. So if you try to correlate, I do not have data from uh, communist countries, but if you correlate, you will see a lot to do with actual implementation of it. So there is little room for unconscious biases playing, uh, playing up if there are these institutional policies that you have to have a certain amount of women in certain fields. It's very interesting that you uh, bring up the point of unconscious bias because just like me and many others, I think that word is a bit nebulous to many of us. In fact, I mean, sometimes even for hire, we talk about culture fit and so on and so forth. Yeah. And again, that's strongly related to unconscious bias, I think. 
if you could just tell us a bit about um, unconscious bias and how can we at least acknowledge it, let alone, yeah. let alone address it, I think that would be a fantastic start for us as well. Surely, Vikram. So I will take the example of uh, unconscious bias in every facet. It would be very pertinent in academia as well. So what is unconscious bias? Uh, by, how is bias even shaped, right? It is shaped by my education, my background, uh, where I come from, what are my surroundings, uh, the media that I have been exposed to, the movies I have chosen to watch, the kind of friends that I have been having, all of these things kind of shape my uh, worldview, right? So uh, in my world, in my social network, if I have not been exposed to another person who doesn't look like me, who doesn't speak like me, it'll be very tough for me to see what their realities are, right? It would be tough for me to trust them. I would doubt their skill. I would doubt their expertise. I will even doubt their commitment to the subject. And what am I going to do? I'm more likely to trust the person who is like me, who comes from my circle, who has gone to the same university, who has done the same things that I have done. Because I know that these, this is a, I have been successful, so I know the person who looks like me, who speaks like me, is going to be more successful. So that's what unconscious biases are, right? It is unconscious after all. And it seeps in through years of how you have been brought up, how you have, how your education has shaped you, what privileges you have gone through, right? And that's another way bias would play out in academia as well. So if we were to really embrace, let's say, for example, diversity, different organizations would have um, uh, different enablers. One of the problems, uh, for example, we find in uh, sciences like uh, mechanical sciences or mechanics uh, specifically, because this is a show on mechanics, um, the, the problems are often more abstract or they're not really related, um, at least um, on the surface before their application that is related to anything to do with um, either gender or race or anything. But it is obvious that if we want the full talent pool to join in and the diverse talent pool to join in, we must embrace diversity there. How do you think in um, places like these where we are dealing with mechanics or applied mechanics, we can tangibly ensure that we are making or we are taking some decent steps towards embracing diversity? Uh, this is a very good point. So there are a lot of uh, aspects in play here when you say uh, how do I actually get to a place where I have a diverse uh, set of people in, um, in, the, in the mechanical engineering, for example. So first to understand why, is, why are people dropping out, right? Why would, if you take uh, gender, for example, why would women drop out? So there could be several things. Um, can you tell me a few of them? Why would people, first of all, drop out or not choose to be in science, in mechanics? Uh, in my um, experience, one of the core things, and that's probably closer to um, my own, uh, where, where I am in my life now, um, has been around uh, childcare right now. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Sure. So societal expectations of women, right? Uh, gender roles that they have to play. It is very difficult to take care of a child or an elderly parent or take care of a lot of the gender roles that have been set on uh, women, especially in throughout. It's country agnostic throughout the world and take care of a very demanding role in academia. So yes, societal expectations play a bigger role. Could you think of any other uh, things that could happen as well from a self uh, point of view, an aspirational point of view? Um, let me take a guess. I mean, uh, again, this is based on what I see around me, but um, getting upwards in the, say, the ladder, so to say, like just in terms of promotion, yes. that seems to encounter way more problems and not always just the technical problems that you face or just the political problems, but problems for like um, many sides. Um, yeah. That does stop, let's, let's say, women from, from going up. But I think it's also the same for, you know, other diverse situations where, yes. you know, you're not really, you know, matching with the larger population. Maybe that's, that's a guess. It's a very, very good observation. Absolutely. So there are two things here. When you say that, you know, going up the ladder and actually uh, getting, getting to, you know, what we call the breaking the grass ceiling, basically. But there are two aspects of it. One is, for example, the organizational policies. If there are policies not set in place, what you call the tangibles, right? The tangible policies, the charters, the work ability to work from home if you need to. Uh, all of these things make up of organizational policies that if, if they're there, it enables a person to actually balance two things. Uh, then what you mentioned was the barriers are too strong. That could be due to unconscious biases as well, because if promotions come from a, if promotions are kept for a certain group of people or the good projects are kept from the people who are once again, affinity bias, right? Who look or speak just like the manager themselves, then it will be very difficult for somebody else to actually uh, you know, do well in the organization. So those would be the unconscious biases. Uh, there is actually a very, uh, very sad part of it as well, which is self, which is the inspirational part. Uh, often you would have noticed that hard sciences, as you mentioned, mechanical, for example, as you mentioned, very few women choose to study. And that has a lot to do with the role model effect. If I don't see someone like me, I'm less likely to aspire for that role. So that's also another aspect. So what can we do about it? So I mentioned four things. One is self-aspirational. I mentioned two things under organization, the policies and the unconscious biases. And then there is a big, very difficult one to tackle, which is the societal expectations. So I'll leave aside societal expectations. There's little we can do as individuals. It has to be a long, sustainable effort that changes that. Uh, I will leave aspirational as well, because more role models come up, more little girls are actually going to aspire for those roles. But uh, what I'll concentrate on are the organizational ones, are the policies, the tangibles, often we disregard them. We think policies are there for just, uh, you know, just something, it's uh, some, uh, something that we get to see when we join an organization, but doesn't really do anything. It actually kind of does. Organiza uh, po organization policies are hold people accountable. So if you have to go by a policy, you will make sure that you 
give certain amount or you think before you make a decision, for example. Uh, unconscious biases are something you can work on. It may not be very easy because like I said, unconscious biases form over a long period of time. But there are things that you can do, not only train your mind to sort of think twice, um, but you can be aware of your biases. Next time when you are taking a decision, you can design it in a certain way that you circumvent those biases. So these are a few things you can do to start with. That's excellent. And in, in a lot of cases, um, in most of these organizations or in higher education organizations, um, the policies are, are actually there. I mean, and they're all well-meaning. Well but yes. uh, when you see its implementation and its results, uh, they do paint a, a different picture because its interpretation and sometimes its implementation is yeah. quite different from what you were aspiring to do. And so in, in, in a hands-on way, is there any, um, any suggestion that you ha have or is there no royal road to success? I definitely there is a way to success uh, because I have worked with a lot of organizations and I have seen them become more equitable, become more inclusive uh, on the grounds of policies, on the grounds of uh, mitigating uh, biases. So how do you actually implement the policies in the right way? My first and foremost suggestion would be to hold people accountable. So. Uh, Whenever there is a deviation from the right policies, the right thing to do, for example, the charters that you mentioned, hold people accountable. And this has to come from everybody. It has to come from the senior most leadership. It has to come from the students. It has to come from everybody. If they say that, you know, there was a violation of this policy and that's not what we stand for. That is something that usually works very well. Uh, another thing that uh, there, is a, there are a lot of studies on this as well, uh, which show that uh, it's kind of a chicken and egg, but it is still true. A more representation of uh, diverse leadership, uh, it more likely that you will follow the equitable practices. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a lot of study after the Me Too movement about uh, the sexual harassment and how a lot of uh, lot of cases, the cases of sexual harassment were not taken seriously. And it turns out uh, certain demographic lost out the most. Uh, so if you take a guess, you will know that African-American women lost out the most. How? Because whenever they faced sexual harassment or any kind of discrimination or harassment in the organization, they typically left. Uh, instead of actually following through and making a formal complaint because what they thought was that there, there is nobody like me in the leadership. There are no African-American women in the leadership. No one will take me seriously. So this particular perception itself actually made them leave the organization as opposed to making a formal complaint. So what they said is that if you have a high representation of an of any person of color, person who a gender diverse leadership team, for example, anybody from the LGBT community, it's more likely that people will feel that there is a route to equity and they will take up those causes. So that's another way to implement it. This is fascinating, Ishani. And maybe uh, just right at the end, I'm aware that we're just over the half 
an hour mark here. Um, you yourself, you had a background in applied maths and computational mechanics, and now you're here. And I was wondering if you would just like to share a bit about your personal experience and what you have felt, um, how, where you have felt yourself in the inclusivity spectrum over time, and where do you think are moving things are moving towards right now? Um, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, uh, if you could share with us, that would be fantastic. Sure, Vikram. So uh, I have uh, studied and I would say done research in applied mathematics now in three different continents. I was in the US, then in UK and then in India afterwards. Uh, I'll share with you some interesting observations uh, in terms of STEM research. So it's, it's, it's a very tough question, actually, because there is the, the problems here are way deeper than what we think. It's not just that we need more women scientists and academicians in STEM. Uh, research shows, for example, that women are less likely to get accepted in peer-reviewed journals if they're sole authors, but their chances go up if they have a male co-author. Wow. Yes. So they are less likely to be invited as keynote speakers they're typically on panels with other women scientists. They're more likely to be interrupted during their talks. So you see, the biases, the prejudices are very, very deep-rooted. And there are no clear policies which can stop these. These will come over time. So this is one of the, uh, a few research and a few things I wanted to leave with in terms of STEM. Uh, there are things we can do but the problems are, uh, are there. That was fantastic, Ishani. It was great talking to you. And thank you very much for coming to In Moderation. Thank you so much, Vikram. I really enjoyed talking about this as well.